Good morning and a very warm welcome to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. And today, folks, we have lots taking place. We will be looking at Psalm 50. We'll be looking at the Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 9. Joe will be here to share his thoughts on the Word of God. We're going to drop off for a cup on tea as we go and contemplate the REM song, Everybody Hurts. Then... After all of that, Pastor Dominic will be joining us with his fourth part in his series on the Disciples' Prayer or the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer as the rest of us go and call it. So there are all the things that are taking place. So to get things moving, let's listen to Psalm 50, read to us by Charlize. We're reading from Psalms 50. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth, that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pen. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. But to the wicked person, God says, What right have you to recite my laws or to take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things and I kept silent, you thought I was exactly like you. But I now arraign you and set my accusations before you. Consider this, you who forget God. Or I will tear you to pieces, with no one to rescue you. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. Hello, I'd like to read to you from 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. When the king, Hosea, heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Hosea's first reaction was one of shock, for it seems the book of the law had long been forgotten. One, he identified that God's people had abandoned the Lord and worshipped pagan gods. Two, he wept in repentance. Three, 
He started a reformation for, he cleaned out all idolatry and the pagan priests were gotten rid of. The full account of his actions are recorded in 2 Kings chapter 2 uh, verse 1 to chapter 23 verse 27. I want to encourage everyone to read this. Chapter 23 verse 25 tells us, Never before was there a king like Hosea who turned to the Lord with all his heart and his soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses, and there's never been one like him since. I'd like to show you something here. It's called a Bible. Now, I know that's stating the obvious, but for many Christians today, it's a book that's only gathering dust in their homes. It has become quite like the book of the law in Hosea's time, plain forgotten. We're living in a time when many preachers at best, not all, but many, peddled the word of God for profit instead of speaking before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Many Christians fail to include the word in their conversations. We need people like Hosea. Thankfully, I'd like to say I don't know anyone who has shrines set up to Baal, nor do I know anyone who sacrifices their children in a fire to Molech. These are things that were going on in Hosea's time. But many Christian gatherings are straying from God's word. Their ways of doing church are now more important than God himself. Not long ago, I said to one church elder that the Lord's table had quite apparently become more important to him than the Lord Jesus Christ. When we go off track, even only a little, we set ourselves on a course that can develop into cultism. The vital thing is to make sure that the word of Christ dwells in us richly, that we do seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that we do go to him for our daily bread. God bless you. Midlands 103. Welcome back to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. So we've been listening to what Joe has been exhorting and encouraging us to read the Word of God, to be people who are in our Bibles and not let it have dust growing upon it. We've been listening to Psalm 50 and the exhortation there contained within. And now it's time for an cup on tea. So hopefully you've... Uh, cup of tea made or a cup of coffee and this is a little video that I put out every week called on cup on tea you can see them on YouTube but this one is reflecting on the song everyone hurts by REM and what is it that we need to be holding on to because in the lyrics of the song that's what it goes and says over and over and over the line is hold on hold on hold on so what is it that you are holding on to? Myself and the Fab Yogg were in the car heading down to the school and we were listening to the radio. And the song that came on was Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. So I was having a nostalgic moment, but I was listening to the lyrics. And what really struck me at the end of the song is that Michael Stipe continuously sings the words hold on, hold on, hold on hold on and I got to the point I was the question that formulated my in my mind is what are we to hold on to so you know the lyrics of the song you're very familiar with it no doubt you know when your day is long and the night the night is yours alone when you're sure you've had enough of this life well hang on don't let yourself go because everyone cries everyone hurts sometimes Sometimes everything is wrong. Now it's time to sing along. 
when your day is night alone, hold on, hold on. If you feel like letting go, hold on. If you think you've had too much of this life, well, hang on. And the reason then for hanging on is because everyone hurts. Take comfort in your friends. Everyone, everybody hurts. The song was R.E.M.'s response to the number of young men in particular who had come to a point where they believed that they couldn't go on in life. And the rate of suicide had become exceptionally high. And that's why they wrote this song. And even though it's a beautiful day, even though it's enjoyable weather, that doesn't take away from the fact that we can be going through difficulties, hardships, and maybe have come to a point that we really wonder, is there any point in holding on? But the question that comes to my mind, as I said, is what do we hold on to? Give me something concrete, something tangible, some way to move forward. And today, that's what I want to do. In the book of Judges, there's a song written after Israel was liberated from their enemies by Deborah and Barak. And there's one little line in it, which is very interesting, right in the middle of it. And you can go and check it out in Judges, in the book of Judges. And it goes and says this, March on my soul, be strong. Now people go and say, if you talk to yourself, it's a sign of madness. And if you answer back, then you're really lost it. But when you look at the scriptures, there are many times David is a person who went and exhorted his soul. You know, here Deborah is actually going and exhorting her soul. March on, O my soul, be strong. But what can we be strong in? We can be strong in the Lord. And now here is what brings me to a very familiar couple of verses in Psalm 23. This really is mind-blowing stuff if you think about it. It goes and says in Psalm 23, the following lines. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the Lord is the one who's leading us. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord's my shepherd. And he's leading us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That path is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he's leading us in the path who is Jesus. Our righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. But then in that next verse, which is also familiar, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The point is that this is not a standalone verse. We can look at them as standalone verses. But the, what path is the sheep walking on in that verse? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What's the path? The path is the same. We're still on that same path of righteousness, being led by the shepherd. And so what I'm saying is, what we need to do is we need to hold on to the truth of who it is that God is, that Jesus Christ is, and how he is the one who leads us and guides us. And so that verse goes and says that we are to walk, even though I walk. There is movement. We need to keep moving in the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. The point is that the sheep is aware, and the psalmist David is actually saying is, there is evil. There is the fear of death right here. 
These are circumstances I cannot control. They are overwhelming. The shadow of it is crowding over me. But he's still walking in the path of righteousness. He's still walking in the path with Christ, his shepherd. I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. And so when I listen to that song, yes, we need to hold on to life. But the one who is life is Christ. The one who comes to bring us life and more abundantly is Christ. And the point is that when our stability, our security is in the person of Jesus, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are that we are going through, as horrendous and all as they may be, because we know Christ with us and it's those promises we need to hold on to when Peter was walking on the water it says that he looked at the waves he said he looked at the wind and the impact it was having and immediately he began to sink his circumstances overwhelmed him and he cried out and said Lord save me and what does it tell us the Lord didn't show up No, it doesn't. It says that Jesus grabbed him by the hand. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So what have we to hold on to in the dark days? What have we to go and cling to? What if you're someone right now and you're struggling? Be assured of this. Jesus is right there. He wants to reach out. He wants to help you. And his promises are yes and amen. If you want to know what Jesus Christ will do for you, read the scriptures. And what it says that God can do in those scriptures, that's exactly what God's going to do for you. Hold on to who Christ is and what he has promised in his word. True. Everybody hurts. True. Everyone cries. True. Everyone goes through tough times. But if you know Jesus, he's leading you through those tough times in the paths of righteousness. And as a result, you can take comfort in him. Midlands 183. Welcome back to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. Well, we've been speaking about holding on. We've been speaking about reading the scriptures. We've been speaking about getting the dust off your Bible. We have listened to the reading of Psalm 50. And now we are going to listen to the reading from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 9. And then we're going to reflect just briefly on both Psalm 50 and Matthew chapter 9. And then later, Pastor Dominic will be joining us and will be sharing on his fourth talk on the disciples' prayer. So, here is Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 18. Matthew chapter 9, 18 to 38. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come, and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. 
Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, Go away! The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David! When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this, but they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Psalm 50 begins with three titles for God. The Mighty One, God the Lord. And then it tells us that the Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. When we read of the story in Matthew's Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and we read of the woman with the issue of blood and we read of Jairus whose daughter is dead, both of them come with an expectation that Christ is going to be able to do something about their situation. If they didn't believe that Christ could go and do something, they wouldn't have gone and approached them in the two different ways that they came and approached him. And you see, that gets me thinking. The Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is still the Mighty One. He is still God. He is still the Lord. And the Lord, the word Lord, again, is in capital letters, meaning Jehovah, Adonai, the Lord God, the Almighty, the Sovereign Lord, of whom there is no greater, the Supreme Ruler. And so when Jairus, as an earthly ruler, approaches Jesus, he comes with an expectation that he is going to go and do something. The lady sneaking through the crowd, who has given all her money to the doctors to try and make her well, reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, 
hoping to go unnoticed. But she was noticed. She was noticed for the fact that she'd actually come to Jesus. That she'd reached out and he knew it because the power had left him. But that gets me thinking. Thinking about the fact that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. So if I read in the pages of my Bible that Christ did those things, the question I am left asking myself is this. Do I or would I have the same faith as either Jairus or that lady? I think if truth be told, I would like to think I'm someone who has that sort of faith. But if pushed to the test, maybe I would be found wanting. And let me ask you a question. How would you find yourself? Would you be someone who has that sort of faith? That you will be able to go and approach Jesus? That you will be able to go and ask him to do the impossible? Because that's what they're doing. They are making the declaration that Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God, was someone they believed who could do the impossible. Someone who could raise a child from the dead, that was impossible. Someone who could heal a disease that no doctor was able to cure. A situation that was impossible. And so, the thing that really strikes me is this. Is the God I serve really the God of the impossible? Because here's the point. If I truly believe that, if you truly believe that, then the God of the impossible can make your impossible possible. The God of the impossible can make your impossible possible. Think about that. So when you stop up and consider your life, when I stop up and consider my life, what are the things that we think can never change? What is the hopes and aspirations you may have for family, for a loved one, for yourself? But the question is this. With these sort of situations, do you try to muddle through and fix them yourself? Or maybe it is even greater than that. And the thing is that we are going through that valley of the shadow of death. We're going through depression. We're going through difficult times. We're going... And we can't see the wood from the trees. We, we don't know what the future may hold. We don't even know how the future is going to work out. In fact, we may even have come to a point that we don't even know life would work out. But Jesus goes and makes the claim that he has come to give us life and give it to us to the full. Therefore, not only will life work out, but it will be an abundant life, a blessed life. Why? Because he is in it. But it comes back to the question, do we really believe that God is the God of the impossible? Do we really believe that Jesus can change our situation? Do we really believe that Jesus is the one who's going to reach out and lift us up by the hand? So often I think that we settle for second best because we're afraid to push outside of the norms of our society. We're afraid to push outside of the norms of our faith even. But if Jesus is really who he claims he is, then the same thing should be happening today. But there's one thing that you need to do. There's one thing I need to do. 
And that is that we have to be like Jairus, be like that lady, and then approach Jesus. Go to Jesus with our problem, believing that he can do something about it. So let me just leave that one question with you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, God the Son, the God of the impossible, can make your impossible possible? That's the question. Midlands 183. Good morning to you, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. This is Pastor Dom back with you again through Nigel's kind invitation to join you today on Heartlands, Midlands 103. These are the Disciples' Prayer Devotionals, and this is number four, entitled The Invasion. The invasion of Europe was being planned since the final evacuation from Dunkirk on June 4th, 1940. Planning was incredible. It was meticulous. Men, machines, aircraft, ships and boats from 12 nations were coordinated and made ready. The date was set between the 5th and 7th of June, 1944. All that was needed now was the right weather. 21-year-old Maureen Sweeney in the Black Sod Lighthouse and Weather Station across in Mayo didn't know what her Stormfront in Mayo report caused. Dwight D. Eisenhower, Commander-in-Chief of Operation Overlord, received Maureen's report and decided to postpone the June 5th launch and launch the next day on June 6th instead. The operation lasted five days on the Normandy beaches, opened up a second front in Europe, which ultimately led to victory in Europe Day almost a year later, in May 8th, 1945. In our Disciple Prayer devotionals, we thought first about the phrase, Our Father. And we said that it was anything but simple, but it reminded us of our connection. The second phrase, in heaven, brought home the distinction between our Father and us. The third phrase, hallowed be your name, revealed our sanctification means sharing in the holiness of God and how it's God's responsibility to bring that holiness of life out in us. So, Let's read the disciples' prayer again. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Your kingdom come. This is the second petition that Jesus instructs his disciples to pray for. Why? Look around our world and what do you see? This world is a very evil and dark place and it appears to be getting worse day by day. But remember, that's just one side of the coin. Listen to these words. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it and understood God's grace 
in all its truth. Colossians 1 verse 6. Haven't our lives been radically changed since the day when we repented and believed the good news of the gospel? Mark 1 verse 15. And what has happened since? Life. And sometimes it has been wonderful. Such blessings and great answers to prayer. Praise God. But sometimes it has been very painful and we've felt abandoned and so very much alone. And sometimes we must confess that we gave up in our walk with God. But please remember Jesus' words. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. John 10, verses 27 to 28. Life is not fair, and bad things do happen to good people, but to what end and for what purpose? To remind us that while God's kingdom may be ruling in our hearts and lives, it is not ruling in the hearts and lives of others. They need to see how we as God's kingdom believers handle life. And this brings us to the inescapable conclusion that we must be praying for the invasion. Firstly, think about whose kingdom it is, your kingdom. How many prayers do we pray that are all about our kingdoms, our wants, our desires, and even our legitimate needs? But shouldn't we be focused on his kingdom? Didn't Jesus say, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well? Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. There always should be a priority and a trust in our prayers. What does it mean to be a member of God's kingdom? We said above, things happen in life that give us the opportunity to show the world of unbelievers how God's kingdom believers handle the tough times. Christians are not spared those painful, tragic, hurt-filled trials of life. But we trust him in whose kingdom we are to work out his good, pleasing and perfect will for us even when we don't understand. We still trust and obey. Please, this is not blind faith. This is actually faith that believes our Father will work out all things together for our good, even though at that certain moment we don't know how that will happen. But still we trust in Him and do the next right thing. We also need to realize that being a member of God's kingdom means that it's our privilege to participate in the great commission that Jesus gave us. In seeking to advance and extend our Father's kingdom by our faith in Him, our witness for Him, and our prayers to Him. Think about whose timing it is. Come, your kingdom, come. Yes, Life is certainly hard in these days of wars and rumors of wars. We can see it all around the world. And perhaps we might want to escape what is yet to come. But is it our right or our role to demand that his kingdom comes right now because we're afraid of what we think might be going to happen soon? Perhaps we need to consider that we could be here for such a time as this, just as Queen Esther was 
and could play a vital role just as she did for the people of her day. Perhaps we need to realize that while Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, this second petition has two points in mind. Dependence upon the king's power to bring this about and dependence upon the king's timing, as it says in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The king's timing will always be perfect and will always be full of compassion. A wise man once said that God answers prayer in four ways. The first is no not yet. The second is, no, I love you too much. The third is, yes, I thought you'd never ask. And four, yes, and here's more. As in our previous devotions, I have a quote and a question. Prayer is still the mightiest force in the world. And when used by dedicated men and women, nothing remains impossible. So said Dwight D. Eisenhower. And here's my question. Do you want to begin to turn the tide in this terrible war that the kingdom of God is engaged in today? Then pray with your brothers and sisters in Christ as Jesus directed and instructed his disciples to pray. And so us to pray. Your kingdom come. You'll be in the very best of company. May you be truly blessed today, listeners, as we remember these words of Paul from Romans chapter 8. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Midlands 183.